the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's the Rob Black Show on 910 AM. Joining me now, Tom Campbell. Tom Campbell is a former congressman from California's 12th and 15th districts. He is going to be running for the position of governor of the great state of California. How are you, Mr. Campbell? I'm just great. Thanks, Rob. How are you? I'm well. Um, First and foremost, this is my my go-to question now. I had Chuck Reed, mayor of San Jose, on, and I've I've praised him because he creates jobs, and he's done a really good job of making San Jose get it away from San Francisco as far as the spotlight on a national level. Yeah. yeah. Um, Creating jobs. I said, why don't you run for governor? Because I'd vote for you. Yeah. And he said the state of California is ungovernable. I've heard uh, I've heard Chuck say that. I have a high regard for Chuck Reed, so okay. I think he's a fine mayor. And uh, I'm just a little uh, uh, disappointed that he would say ungovernable. If people say that, then you don't have good candidates running. And Chuck's a Democrat. I think he'd improve the uh, the field on the Democratic side immensely. Um, so maybe he'll reconsider it. Uh, but the fundamental point is you've got mechanisms in Sacramento for spending more than we have. And they are—they're uh, not the sort of pressures that, or I should say, constraints that a city has to operate under, or a business has to operate under, where you—you uh, you cannot pretend that you're going to have more revenue and, and then just borrow supposedly temporarily uh, when that revenue doesn't materialize. So, there, there's structures in Sacramento that allow the, the budget mess to happen. But similarly, you also have a very strong constitutional role for the governor. The line item veto will allow the governor to bring the expenditures down into line with the available money. Now, you served as director of finance for the state of California in 2004-2005. What did that position teach you about California? Uh, The essential, the absolute essential nature of spending no more than we have and having a constraint on increase in spending to no more than the amount that inflation and population compels. Is what, ha- what I learned in that position was that revenue flows in heavily in good economic years, and that were, those were good economic times. So I was, go- I was, I was uh, uh, finance director when revenue was coming in. And as a result, we were able to balance the budget with no increase of taxes and uh, no increase in borrowing and none of the accounting tricks that you see in the present budget. Uh, but when times are bad, the revenue flows out. Uh, perhaps the best example is a year and a half after I left, uh, the revenue of the state went up $2 billion, but the legislature spent $9.8 billion more. Uh, and there's no way constitutionally to, to stop that if they wish to assume that there'll be more revenue for than there really is. There's no independent audit. There's no uh, Sarbanes-Oxley. There's no attestation by a CPA. Uh, so what what needs to be done, this is the fundamental lesson I learned, is limit expenditures from one year to the next to a growth rate equal to population and inflation. And when revenue comes in above that, put it into a reserve 
and then you can draw down the reserve when revenue is bad. And in, in, in failing to do that, uh, the legislature this last July did something I totally opposed and um, put out my own budget instead. Um, but the legislature took money from cities and counties, $1.9 billion from cities. So mayors like Chuck Reed uh, were told, uh, congratulations for being fiscally responsible. Uh, Sacramento will come and uh, borrow that money for the next three years. And then this last week we learned that the state of California is going to you know, up our tax rate 10%. Not our tax rate, but what they're taking out. Um, unless we opt not to have that done, it, to me, California just seems like they're financially engineering. They're they're juggling. And do you re- can you really stop that? Can one man yeah. stop that? Yes, yeah, uh, and it's it's once again by holding the line at the line item veto, and also by being honest at the time that you reach reach the budget. That increase in withholding, that ten percent increase in with in withholding, Rob, that came about because of the July budget deal. So that was approved by two-thirds of the legislature and the governor, that we would have a 10% increase in withholding, and they argued it was not a tax increase. You know, that is, that is so um, difficult to, uh, to defend. You have to pay more to the state government, but it's not a tax increase because it's only withholding. Uh, now let's just think this through for a minute. Next April, then supposedly you won't have to pay as much in your in your return because more has been withheld. Except that next April is also the first quarter of the next tax year, so the withholding is up again. In other words, it is a permanent increase. And then there's the other part that was done back in July that was again not supposedly a tax increase, but really was, and that's the estimated tax. Um, if you're paying estimated tax, you have to pay estimated 70% of your tax liability in the first 50% of the year. Now, that's that's very hard on small businesses that are escrowing their tax liability according to their earnings, and then they have to they suddenly learn that they have to estimate uh, excuse me with pay uh, 70% rather than 50 in the first half of the year. So both of those were done in order to cascade reported or recognized income from the next fiscal year into this one. I'll give you one other to knock your socks off. The the legislature uh, approved paying state employees on the 1st instead of the 31st of every month. That kicks one-twelfth of the current fiscal year's cost of state employees into the next fiscal year. Uh, that's, that, that's, an, that's, that's an accounting gimmick. I mean, if you did that in, in private business, and put out your 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 uh, budget, your uh, operating income uh, statement uh, reflecting that as a savings. Um, you would be guilty of, uh, of, a, of a securities violation. So those things are done, and the way to stop them is twofold. One, at the time that you have the uh, budget, um, hold the line. Don't spend more than you have. And if the governor vetoes down to uh, the level of money that we have through the line item veto, you don't have to do these accounting gimmicks. And then secondly, try to create a reserve. Put money aside so that uh, you've got something when the revenue falls. Yeah, the old rainy day fund, so to speak. I know. It's not impossible. In fact, I drafted the initiative that was defeated in 2005. I drafted the version that went to the legislature that created the rainy day fund, a real one. Uh, and uh, Governor Schwarzenegger deserves credit for trying very hard to get it passed. He went out and campaigned for it. So did I. Uh, I think he spent $7 million of his own money to try to get it passed. It was defeated by the public employee unions. 
Um, and all of those initiatives were defeated in 2005. But the sad truth is if we had passed that, if we had passed that instead, we would not have a uh, an imbalanced budget today. We would actually be in balance. It's interesting that you say that, Mr. Campbell. Um, I'm with you on a lot of this in theory, but I fear that a vote for Tom Campbell is just basically a vote for gridlock or, like you said, line item veto that – Schwarzenegger, we put him in office thinking he's, it's not going to be business as usual. It started out good, but it turned out to be business as usual. I want to give him credit for trying with, that, with those initiatives. Right. I mean, that was solid reform. Uh, and had they passed, we would not be in the budget deficit that we're in, that we're in today. And relative to my own candidacy, I'd, I'd put it this way. My background, my experience is in government and in, in um, academics. Uh, I was a professor at Berkeley, a a dean of the business school at Berkeley, a professor at Stanford for 19 years. Now I'm a visiting professor at Chapman. My field is is economic and financial and in the legal side, the application of economics to legal subjects. Uh, I have a Ph.D. in economics. I was budget director. I was five-term congressman on the Joint Economic Committee. Uh, In the California State Senate, I was on the budget committee and the subcommittee on education for the budget. all of those things point to one thing, which is the budget is everything to me. Fiscal responsibility is everything to me. Not spending more than we have, being honest, not pretending we have revenue when we don't, not postponing salaries by one day and saying that that's a real savings. So if, if, you, if you make the budget your number one issue, yep. you can actually do it. The reason why governors in the past have not been able to balance the budget is that they had other agenda items, and the legislature essentially said, look, if you want your agenda item, uh, you've got to promise not to veto mine. Now, let's talk a little bit uh, off the budget, sort of. It's kind of still there. Social services, schools, prisons, parks. You're going to have to cut something in order to get balanced because our taxes are way off of what our spending is. Yeah, and so I put a specific plan out there uh, last May, May 18th. I put on my website. Actually, it was at a meeting of the Sacramento Press Corps. So I did uh, everything I could to draw attention to $15.4 billion in cuts. So I was quite explicit. And then a month ago, I put forward an additional 8 to $13 billion, depending on how much savings we could get, but at least 8 And And here's what I, what I proposed. Uh, bring the welfare levels down to the national average. There was a time when we could afford to be more generous, but we can't anymore. Uh, we just don't have the money, and it's not fair to the next generation to uh, continue to borrow. Uh, use the, the uh, private health care competitive system. Open it up by, by uh, repealing the antitrust exemption. So I'm really glad to see that that is, uh, is on its way. Uh, other parts of this health care bill I do not like, by the way. But just within the existing law, not changing anything, uh, go to the market and you can get health care coverage for the needy in California at a savings of about $1,000 per, uh, per individual. Uh, over the present system. So that's also on my website. Uh, Those savings are are substantial. Uh, Bring, and and lastly, in in the workfare area, uh, bring down the cost of of workfare uh, by applying the same federal rule, the same uh, eligibility criteria that the federal uh, average is. so when you when you're done with that, you could come up with with a substantial amount of of, uh, of savings. Uh, the, the the state then going forward uh, don't increase from year to year more than population and inflation. Right now we're down to the uh, the mid 80s, 
in terms of about uh, 83, 84 billion dollars of expenditure. Uh, and uh, in nominal terms, not adjusted for inflation, in nominal terms, uh, that takes us back to uh, uh, to the uh, early 2000s. And in real terms, adjusted for inflation brings us back into the late 90s. Uh, so going forward, if we implement these 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 changes that I proposed, and uh, then just make sure we didn't dig the hole deeper going forward, uh, we'd be in control. If I were governor, I'd veto down to those levels. If I could, I'd get the Constitution back to where it used to be so that you couldn't spend more. Many people listening to your call might remember the one time there was a actual tax refund. George Duke Majin was governor. We ran up a surplus, and he actually authorized sending out checks to people. It's a memorable day in the history of, of government when uh, the government actually sent money back. Good stuff. Good stuff. I'm going to keep you for another break, Mr. Cam. My pleasure. Thank I, you. I want to tell people you've got a great website. It's the best website I've seen for a politician ever. It's Campbell.org. Thanks. And it's C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. Perfect. As in California. And thanks. For the, uh, stay there. I'm going to come right back to you. We're going to talk Prop 13, immigration, water, and pensions for state employees. Those seem to be the hot articles right now in the news. 800-345-5639. If you want to ask Mr. Campbell a question, he's running for the governor of the state of California, Tom Campbell. And again, his website is Campbell.org. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. I'm speaking with Tom Campbell. And Tom Campbell, this is a hot song with a younger generation. What's the song? It's called MGMT. Um, is the band, and it's called Trees. Kids, kids, sorry, uh, my producer just yelled at me. Um, the, the thing I'm throwing out here is the transition. It's not a smooth one. If you haven't figured out, Tom, I'm not great at doing radio. you got to give me the lyrics, Rob. I didn't hear it. Um, you don't even want the lyrics. Okay, it's it's right. about taking care of trees and oh, okay. you know the poison that our society uh, has, whether it be from the family to the kids or whether it be the family to the society. It's neither here nor there. I'm, I'm bringing it up because I want to talk about kids. Oftentimes, Tom, and I'm talking to Tom Campbell. He's running for governor in the state of California. He's running neck and neck right now with Meg Whitman. And that's impressive, Tom, because she's terribly well-funded with her <laughs> billions of dollars. Yeah, billions and billions. And uh, I seem to be uh, keeping pace with her. And uh, I get contributions over the web. And that's, that's what I've got. It's, uh, it's remarkable. Maybe, maybe there's some lesson there that people like to interact with their candidates more on a, on a personal one-to-one basis, which we can do, and, unless maybe on the, the, big, the big bucks of basis. It's it's an interesting question, though, Mr. Campbell, because on one hand, I really liked it when the comedian um, was elected to the Senate. I really liked it. I really liked it when the farmer was part of Congress, you know, and now it's either career politicians or billionaires. I thought you meant Al Franken. You like Al Franken in the Senate? I don't really like Al Franken personally, but I love the idea that a comedian is there. Um, <laughs> well, maybe a, an intentional one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. And um, you know, don't you think the Constitution? At one point in time, you were a farmer. You'd quit your job as a farmer. You'd come to Congress, and then you, you, yeah, didn't, you didn't have a staff of two hundred people. Uh, well, I think that's so. And I'm, and I'm not putting anybody else down. But uh, so my real life job is is a teacher. I've been a 
teacher at Stanford, a professor yeah. at Cal, a dean at Cal. Uh, I'm teaching now at Chapman, so that, that's that's real that's real world. And and in terms of uh, of personal income, I think my net worth is positive. I, I think I can. I think it's positive. I'm not sure it's positive. In this day and age, that's a compliment. <laughs> that's a bonus. <laughs> it's right. It's right within the margin of error. But but by that I mean I'm uh, I, I think I'm close to what the average uh, the average uh, citizen might be experiencing. Okay. And and that's obviously worry about whether the economic recovery is real or not. So we, I started this segment by talking about kids. Um, I feel lucky that I was Generation X. I was born in 68. Um, I'm a white guy. I feel privileged to be a white Generation Xer because my career was open to me and I took it and I ran with it and it's been great to me. I don't feel like the 20-somethings really got that much to look forward to right now. I got a ton of debt. Uh, and, and what's unfortunate is that your generation and mine uh, ran up that debt. Yep. Um, if you run up debt for a permanent valuable purpose, like winning the war against the uh, Soviet Empire right. or winning the Second World War, of course, absolutely go into debt for that, and you've got generations of freedom afterwards. But if you, if you run up debt just to get reelected, to, to pay for money that you're then going to give to people hoping they vote for you, uh, that's venal on two counts. One is you're buying votes with money, and secondly, it's venal because you're taking from the children, the next generation. Realistically, I'm a business owner. I don't want to open up a business in California. Yeah. It, it, I'm sorry. I was going to say I've heard that often, but please go ahead. I interrupted you. Well, no, no. Um, when I was a little kid, I was in love with Atari, and I was in love with Silicon Valley and technology. And to me, it's sad that the state of Oregon has more Intel employees than the state of California does. It's out right now, gee. I know that the wafer fab industry has gone away. We yep. don't make the chips here. We design them, but we don't make them here. Uh, and there's two reasons for that, I'm quite, I'm quite sure. There, there may be many, many more, but two that I know of, of uh, which I came back often whenever I dealt with this issue as finance director. I would try to argue with manufacturing groups to stay in California, and they'd say, the regulatory burden is a killer. We, we overregulate. Uh, I, I can go to Texas, and the mayor will sign a, a permit in blank, uh, almost. <laughs> and uh, and Pete Wilson, when he was governor, used to have uh, one 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 stop shop, a red team. You, you want to bring a business to California? We'll get you all your permits, and we'll get them fast for you. Uh, well, other states are doing that, and we're not. That's that's number one. And then number two is the tax levels. So what I've been saying through consistently, it's, it's, it's just essential. Cut spending by state government and then cut taxes. And make sure you get the order right so that you don't end up with a worse deficit. But cut the taxes because we're number one among 50 states in income tax and uh, number one in sales tax. Our business tax is uh, number eight. Uh, and uh, people say, oh, but the Prop 13, that makes you know our, our property tax lower. Actually, because the average value of property is so high in California, we're number 10 among the 50 states in the average amount of property tax that people pay. So if you want to hire an engineer in Oregon um, where there is no sales tax uh, and where the income taxes uh, are lower than ours, uh, your, your, your revenue, your, your wage, I should say, goes a whole lot farther. And that's why we're losing the jobs. It goes a whole lot farther, especially in the Oregon area where you have no state taxes. And on the other side of the fence, you've got no income taxes. So, yeah, if you want to go to Nevada, right. It's pretty crazy. I'm talking with Tom Campbell. He's running for uh, governor of the state of California for next year. He's running neck and neck with Meg Whitman. Um, I like what I'm hearing. Now let's talk a little Prop 13. To me, it seems flawed. I think anyone under the age of 40 think Prop 13 is flawed. Anyone over age 40 feel like it's an entitlement. 
Uh, it's a good thing for California, Rob. Okay. Uh, and I'll make an argument that you perhaps don't hear that often, for, but I'm happy to come back to your case if you think it's flawed. Let me just tell you why I like it. Uh, when you're talking to a manufacturer who's thinking of putting a factory here or in another state, and that's what I said I did uh, when I was finance director, you make the case and the other states got lower taxes and it's hard. But California's got Prop 13, which means when once you acquire your land and you start building your factory here, you can estimate the total amount of real property tax you're going to pay for the useful life of that building. It's, it's done. It's constitutional. By contrast, you pour concrete in the foundations of a factory in Texas, and it can get reassessed the next day right. once they got you. So the only argument, I'm not exaggerating, the only argument I had relative to other states that made sense to a factory was Prop 13. Okay, now, when it was enacted out of the property taxes, 60% came out of corporations, 40% out of individuals. Now, 30 years later, it's 60% individuals, 40% corporations. It seems like what it was intended to do, it did, but it did it too well. But I'm not sure that's that's a fair conclusion. Okay. When you're talking about doing something that might just keep a, 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 a factory in the state of California. Companies don't pay taxes. Companies don't pay taxes. Individuals pay taxes. So when a company gets assessed with a higher tax bill, if you know, and, and just theoretically, if that's what you were saying, mm-hmm. if you were saying let's let's increase the the real property tax on, on on corporations who have manufacturing facilities in California, I mean that's what you say. That's what you would be saying. Right. Then that means that they're going to have fewer fewer employees in California. The employees who are here are going to get less. The shareholders who invest in that company are going to get less, and the people who buy the products are going to have to pay more. That's it. There's no other leakage. When you tax a corporation, the people who pay it, who end up paying it, are the employees, the shareholders, and the consumers. Now, right now, you and I agree there's businesses going out the door. It is a very very short-sighted approach to say, I know the answer. Let's increase the one tax that's attractive, relatively attractive, let's increase that on businesses in California. Let's make them pay more. And, and it's bad economics. And, and also, I was, I was at pains to try to say it, it's bad political philosophy because there is no such thing as this evil, this evil entity that we're going to tax. It's a human at the end of the day who's going to have a lower salary, lower dividend, uh, or higher price. The only thing I could say to that is it seems not to promote competition. Your argument's great. But there's a sports bar. I live in San Carlos, and it's the worst sports bar on the planet. Uh-huh. Um, and I want to open up one right next to it. But he bought the building 30 years ago, so his taxes are going to be a lot less than my taxes are, and I can't compete. Well, then I think it might be time for you to talk about a partnership. Okay. Well, I, you, you go into a partnership with somebody who already owns the land, and you can do it, Rob. Okay. Well, that's the way around it. I'm with you. Let's talk immigration. This is a big issue in the state of California. Where do you stand? It's a big problem for us, a huge cost for us, and the governor can and should do uh, two things, and the legislature and the governor together do a third. One, finish the barrier. Uh, The barrier is necessary. Uh, Otherwise, as long as there's a cash economy, and there's a lot of cash economy, the attraction of crossing the border is too great. Two, assign National Guard. National Guard has to help do the border duty. You've got uh, insufficient uh, person power on the border, and the National Guard can help. The step that needs the legislature's assistance is to assess a fine, a very serious fine, here in California on employers who hire folks who are here illegally. 
if you're if you're hiring an illegal alien, you're breaking the law. If you can blame the illegal alien, but you ought to blame the employer who hires that person just as much. Um, and that's harder to get done, uh, largely because the politics are so bad. Uh, but it's essential, those three things together. Now, if you finish the wall in the state of California, but not Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, you haven't accomplished much. So you do need to have a willing partner at the federal level. And at the moment, we do not. Uh, the uh, Homeland Security chief has, uh, has come out. Uh, uh, in fact, at one point, she said that she wasn't, she wasn't even sure that it was a, a felony to cross the border illegally. Uh, it, it is. Um, she wasn't supportive of completing the wall, uh, and uh, so we need a willing partner. But short of short of that, I mean, it's nothing. It's it's not it's not satisfactory to say the federal government has to do its share. Fine, but let's say what we can do, and those are the three steps that we can do. I want to marry that with something else very important in Silicon Valley, where I used to be the congressman. Let's regularize legal immigration. There's a lot of good that comes from people who come into this country legally. And that could include farm workers and people who help in restaurants and, 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 and hotels and hospitals, uh, just as it helps with engineers who work for high-tech companies on an H-1B uh, visa. They come in, and it's really nonsensical, having gained a lot of knowledge that we kick them out and they go work in China or Taiwan or India. So the legal side, I'm all for, and I know we've benefited from it in California. But the illegal side costs us a, a ton. In fact, one of the most scary aspects of it is the medical cost. I think you perhaps know this, but sure. the, uh, per- particularly in the border uh, counties. Uh, you've got half of the maternity uh, c- cases in the uh, San Diego hospitals uh, who are illegal. And I'm down to about a minute, and I'm going to bring you back on throughout the year because I think you're intriguing to listen to, and I'm intrigued by your candidacy, Mr. Campbell. Um, the state pension plans, this is starting to get kind of a little bit more hair on it where we're learning, you know, some senators are making six figures in retirement and then they're going out and teaching and they're making another six figures. It seems like our state pensions, what we're offering people is a broken system. We've overpromised and it's getting abused. And the budget has a consequence because the state budget has to make up the difference. Uh, the PERS, the STRS, and the UC retirement systems are now all underfunded, so the stock market doesn't perform as it should. The difference has to be made up by the by the taxpayers. So going forward, negotiate those contracts. The gov- governor has that authority every three years, and that's how I would, uh, to mimic the kind of pension retirement plans that are in the private sector. Yeah, the day where we pay more than the private sector has to uh, has to end, and we have to be realistic. You're welcome back anytime you want to come on the air, Mr. Campbell, and we'll arrange something a little bit more. Uh, I'd like that appropriately. Thanks Thank very much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. It's Tom Campbell. He puts the C A in Campbell, California Campbell, C A M P B E L L. I'm not totally convinced. He makes some good arguments. We'll figure it out over the next 12 months before we have to elect Whitman or Campbell or. Poisoner or whoever it's going to be on the Republican side or the Democrat side. We've got to keep listening, got to keep wrapping around and think who's got the most realistic chance. The one thing he was big into, line item veto. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m., more stimulating talk. I need a cigarette. After all my great interviews, and there's been three of them, I always feel like I need a cigarette. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. I thought Tam Cam- Tom Campbell was very generous and very kind, which is what you would expect from someone running for office. What's on your mind today? We've got about 30 minutes left in the show, 20 minutes left in the show. Pick up the phone and give me a call.
800-345-5639. That's 800-345-5639. Airlines. Despite airfares and hotel rates, they are amongst the lowest in over a decade. What we're learning is that more recession-battered travelers, and again, we're battered, but we're not fried. They're hitting the freeways, and they stay with family and friends to save money during the upcoming holiday season. Fewer of us are electing to splurge and say, you know what? I will fly cross-country, so I'll see mom and dad next year. And instead of staying at the hotel you really want it to, you're like, hey, maybe I can sleep on my sister's sofa. So trade group forecast today, recent traffic demands, capacity, economic trends. Uh, Basically, it's apparent that the economic headwinds have caught up with travelers. Listen to this. Survey of the Automobile Club found that 30% of California travelers plan to take a road trip instead of an airline flight. 40% plan to stay with friends and family other than instead of paying for a hotel. And 10%, less than 10%, plan to redeem loyalty program points for a free or discounted flight. And 5% plan to fly coach rather than business or first class. So the economy is getting us a little spooked. Maybe not even the economy. Maybe our checkbooks. But that's tied towards the economy, right? Um, how else? We're traveling less and we're traveling, how shall we say, in less style? Eating. Consumers plan to spend an average of $11.49 on restaurant meals in the next 12 months. That's down 20% from a March poll. So consumers plan to eat out as frequently in the coming years as they did in the past year, but they're going to spend less money when they do it. Restaurants like Brinker International. Now, Brinker International, you're going, who the hell is that? Brinker International is Chili's. Um, companies like uh, Applebee's, they're offering discounts to win customers. You're seeing a lot more $5 menus. They're seeking more diners amidst an economic downturn that has people looking for ways to save money. Fine dining restaurants have obviously been hit pretty hard, less than more so than the less expensive restaurants. Percentage of people dining out at least weekly rose to 63% recently from 52%. So more people are eating out. They're just spending less money while they're doing it. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Let's go to Mike in Redwood City. Mike? Oh, hi, Rob. I was going to ask Tom a question, but he's off now. But I wanted to ask him if you or if he knew about the California Foundation for Physical Responsibility. It's a group that's trying to cut pensions and things for state employees and government employees. And it was in the Daily Journal, which is a peninsula newspaper november 7th and a little article hidden away so it's kind of not even in the mainstream yet have you heard anything about that i have heard about that and i think it's a, a conventional wisdom at this point in time that californians are freaked out and they're starting to point fingers at everyone if we can look at prison officials and say spend less money uh we're doing that if you know we can privatize our prison industry we're talking about that or privatize our school system some people think in 20 years from now, California won't be able to afford public schools, and they'll all be privatized. Uh, yeah. there's, there's some crazy proposals out there, Mike, but again, in the tough economic times, w- with recessionary tax dollars, people are looking at anything they can as far as an evil and saying, we need to cut this. Now, are you going to get Poisoner on your show, too? Or? I already had Poisoner on oh, the you show. Did? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like both Poisoner and Campbell. I, mean, I hope that Diane Frankenstein doesn't run. <laughs> I can't stand her. Nope. I was working for the city when she was mayor. Yeah. And she got in there basically because uh, White and Melk got assassinated. She was going to be kicked out of office. She was the president of the uh, supervisors, and she was on her way out when that happened. She became mayor, and now look at her. 
I'm I'm not totally into this. Uh, I will vote for anyone who promises not to raise taxes, but I'll vote for anyone who's going to be the most fiscally conservative. Just stop spending what we don't have. What we have, we can spend it. If you want to put it in liberal programs, I'm fine with it. If you want to put it in in hardcore, you know, Republican programs, I'm fine with that. Just stop spending what we don't have because it's silly and. It's okay to have a budget that is always in a deficit as long as it doesn't break. It's kind of the rubber band deficit, you know, the bend but don't break. But we're at the point of we're dysfunctional. Yeah. Now, you said you have a state pension. What did, right. you, what did you do to deserve it? What did you do? Well, it was actually through the city. I worked for 25 years. Okay. And actually, uh, it's pretty – It's not, San Francisco is not the most safest place to work. So, I mean, if you do get a pretty good pension, I think it's – better than if you're working in suburbia where it's much safer. I mean, you have to deal with the cars and the crime and all that. What did you do for the city? Were you police? Well, I worked, no, I worked for uh, three different departments. I was an eligibility worker, and then I worked for the court, then I worked for another department. And the only way I could do it was working for three different departments because you go crazy up there if you could, if you have to stay in one department for like 25 years. Yeah. So I broke it up and it, it worked pretty good. But a lot of people think San Francisco has the best pension, but they really don't, because a lot of counties at age 55, you get what you would have to work at age 60 in San Francisco. I'm not a big pension guy, just to kind of forewarn you on the next question, but how much do you get per year? For every year, I get $36,000. $36,000. about half of what I was making. Right. And the way they usually fix it is the, the older you are, and the more years you have, the more you get, because they figure you're closer to the grave. Like, if you work in San Francisco at age 50 with 20 years of service, you only get 20%. But at age 60, at, with 20 years, you'd probably get about 50%. Okay. I see what you're saying. So, yeah, and it includes health coverage if you're single. If you're married, you have to pay. But, it, you know, there's pretty good benefits. and then the, Pretty good benefits. But then again, you didn't make as much money as you would have in the private sector, and that's, that's, that's the true. argument. And you, and you have to deal with the uh, civil service mentality, which is like working with a lot of – it's like night of the living dead people. But, Mike, that's the problem. We're giving pensions to people that you will admit are night of the living dead people. We're giving pensions to zombies. That's true. And, you know, I hate to say it, but the police and fire get unbelievable pensions. They do have tough jobs, but they, get, they can get almost 100%. Right. And that's that's flawed system, too, because pensions were an idea, Mike, of an older age – um, when we died at 60, when we died at 65, now we're living to 100. So you could work 30 years and you can get government pension money for 30 years. It's, yeah, and they keep, you know, the medical profession keeps you healthy. And yeah. So you keep, yeah, you get it. You're right. It's a flawed system. And thanks for the call, Mike. All righty. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Let's take a little bit of a break here. We're running out of time. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's Rob Black Show, 910 AM, more simulated talk. Not sure if you get a chance to do this, but once a year I give platelets. I don't actually give blood. I give platelets. It's a much more rigorous process and a much more rigorous chore. Um, I like getting blood out of my body. I know you're going to say, uh-oh, here comes crazy conspiracy theory number one. I think giving blood and giving platelets is actually a good way of staying healthy. Getting some of the old tired blood out of your system so that your body has to reproduce new lovely blood. So I think... As a society, we should give more blood than we do. We're kind of sad. We're kind of pathetic. We'd rather watch Survivor uh, than give blood or give platelets. So anyway, that's my political commentary. You want another one? Here's another one. 
S&P 500 index is going to exceed 1,300 by as early as February. This according to billionaire Kenneth, Finish, Ke- Kenneth Fisher. Now, if you listen to radio or television or CNBC, if you, any of that, you see Fisher Investment Advisors all over it. I got a problem with him. What is my problem with him? First and foremost, he hires douches. I've been in restaurants where, like, these 25-year-old douches, just these guys with pressed pants and pressed shirts and, and watches and slickly gelled hair, they're, 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 they're throwing on the hardcore sales pitch. And I find that business practice pathetic and sad. Nothing against douches. <laughs> yeah, actually, I guess I do have something against douches. But so far, his performance against the S&P 500, he's underperforming. You know, a couple years ago, he's telling us today, I think the stock market goes to 1300 But what he's not saying is, remember back in March of 2007 when I was wildly optimistic and drunk with thoughts? S&P 500, he said that uh, he was on the optimistic side. Ultimately, the market retreated 38% from when he said buy. His Fisher Global Total Return um, is underperforming the S&P 500 by... Not a lot, but enough. So with that said, he's like, oh, go out and get discretionary spending in industrial companies and raw material producers and tech companies and energy producers. I'll listen to it, but I file his commentary under joke. I don't put a lot of faith in it. Why? He's just an average performer. Why pay for average? I think, uh, and again, if you ever see his sales force, you will say douche. Just that. They'd be selling cars or they'd be, well, I shouldn't say selling advertising because I work at a radio station, television station. But let's just put it this way. Financial salespeople, douchey, douchey, douchey. They get the triple douche. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. They just creep me out with their sales tactics. Um, Let's talk about some of the other issues out there. Lionsgate. You could buy. This is, I'm just trying to teach you about investments, right? Lionsgate is a media company. And remember, you saw Disney buy Marvel. You saw Disney buy Pixar. Pixar made movies, and Disney wanted more movies. And Disney bought Marvel because Marvel makes superhero action movie movies. And those are all kind of like built-in audiences of $100 million plus dollars. So sometimes Lionsgate hits a home run, and sometimes they strike out. For instance, recently they've been striking out Crank High Voltage Strikeout, The Haunting in Connecticut Strikeout. Horsemen, strikeout. But they also got into TV business recently. And one of Heidi's favorite television shows is a show called Weeds. We, Heidi's is my radio producer, and she's a goddess amongst radio producers. She likes Weeds. I like Mad Men. Oddly enough, Lionsgate produces both of them. So their television, huge home run. Now, their recent quarter, they came out with that Saw movie, and that did really well. Well, it didn't do really well, but it was produced for such little money that it did really well. Now, they've got something out there. It's a buzz. A couple years ago, oh, 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 Remember the movie Crash? That was produced by Lionsgate. And it was a huge, out-of-nowhere success Academy Award winner. And the stock went crazy. Now, do you know what the next huge, out-of-the-blue Academy Award winner that you haven't heard of, that you're only going to hear, not because you're listening to Ron Owens, who's tired. His blood is tired. He needs to give his blood because he's tired. Not because you listen to Radnitz. I'm not going to knock Radnitz. He works at Cron and he's a god amongst men. Um, but, 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 but because you listen to me. There's a new movie out called Precious. And it's a harrowing drama about a brutal home life of a teenage girl from Harlem. 
It grossed about $1.8 million last weekend in 18 theaters. That's huge. Word of mouth and Oscar buzz is starting to push it further. So the, the name of the, the movie is Precious. It's based on the novel Push, and it's drawing big audiences, and people are just they're thrilled with this. If it wins an Academy Award, that $6 stock known as, or the $5.41 stock known as Lionsgate, stock can move higher. It'll, ooh, Oscar buzz, Oscar buzz, Oscar buzz. And we started going to November, to December, towards January. So that could be a player. I'm not telling you it is. I'm saying it could be. You know there's a new love for the old Dow? What's that TV show? A new Christine or the old Christine? I don't even know. The new Adventures of Old Christine. I don't know. But there's a new love of the old Dow. And what do I mean by that? The old Dow. The old Dow Jones Industrial Average. Names like American Express. Names like Caterpillar. Names like United Technologies. Hitting their highest levels in over a year. Now, the small cap index is underperforming a little bit. Names like McDonald's hitting a high. Now, why is that happening? I can give you a couple ideas. I can give you a couple ideas on why old, boring, blue-chip companies are doing well. Slide in the dollar. Most of these old, boring companies, Caterpillar, United Tech, American Express, McDonald's, they do business overseas. So they're doing okay. U.S. exporters, the sliding dollar can make U.S. exporters, people who, who make stuff here and send it overseas, cheaper. Second, you got some nagging doubts about the U.S. economy's growth prospects. So you look for multinationals. McDonald's makes... Yeah, their shares up. Typically, they'll say that their same store sales were, you know, 3.3% growth, but they'll say most of that's coming from foreign stores. Another reason the old blue chip companies are doing well is that people are jumping into stocks now. They want to be sure that they can jump out quickly and they want to make sure that the stock doesn't go down 30% in one day on them before they take that serious plunge. So new money is going after the most liquid, easy to sell shares. And those names, oddly enough, are in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Google's buying a company called AdMob, a developer technology that plops ads into thousands of mobile phones. This is a big story, and I wish I would have got to it earlier, and I apologize. Google's advertising business generates nearly all of the company's $22 billion. The cell phone and the search on the cell phone or the smartphone is the last frontier for now. Down the road, it'll be a TV, but for now, we're going to say it's the cell phone. I think it's a smart move by Google, and I think you're going to see more consolidation in that space. If I had more time, I'd give you out some names. Unfortunately, i got to run. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. At one point in time, AdMob was considered to be the next Google, and Google buys them. It's tough to take down the king, ain't it? Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.